offense pencil in, I guess, right? Well, or that was the fox uh, hole. That was the fox yeah. hole. Guys, we are back. Welcome to uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable. Doug, I, I did, Doug, I did not. I did not hear back from you, and I wasn't sure you were going to be here tonight. Yeah, is that okay if I just pop in, say absolutely, hello? Absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? We may have to make you pop in again later. You All know, right, that's may, no problem. You may have to schedule it and come back again just because you did this. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to join you every week if I could. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, man, we are so glad to have you. Guys, this is a, a pleasant surprise. This is our friend, uh, astronaut Doug Wheelock. Astronaut, he was the commander of the uh, I, International Space Station. Uh, well, that's ISS, right? Did I get that right, Doug? Correct. November Alpha 1 Sierra Sierra. That's correct. <laughs> And okay. Doug made Doug made like thousands and thousands of contacts on ham radio up there, and uh, I talked to him. I, the way I met Doug, I talked to him twenty nine times one month. I talked to him three times driving home in my truck. Do you believe that? Three times to the space station from the mobile. Anyway, um, he was very nice to take my call that many times. I probably he probably got tired of talking to me not at all but uh i i knew doug was coming down within a week or so and i said doug can i send you some famous memphis barbecue and you said yes sir and i sent it to you man how was the barbecue doug it was awesome uh the corky's barbecue from memphis when i was talking to tom uh, i was getting i was getting toward the tail end of i think i only had a week or so left wasn't it tom and uh yeah in, in a six-month mission, and so, man, I was missing home. I was missing the planet and all the good things, uh, you know, that we have down here. Uh, you know, evidence of life, good barbecue, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. So I mentioned uh, Corky's barbecue to, uh, and then I was having dreams the last few days I was up there in space. Um, and then when I got to, we go into a few days of quarantine after we re- returned to the Earth for mostly for medical. Over Overwatch and some testing and things things like that, um, and um, and my first meal back, first real meal back on Earth was Corky's barbecue. Well, I tell you, I yeah. I hope, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have an official taster, right? I mean, they're not just going to give you any food. And I was I was real concerned that they were going to let you eat barbecue that I sent you. I I, I didn't know that was going to even be possible. Well, or, they actually didn't tell me about it until we got back. Uh, we I actually landed in the Soyuz, which is on land in the middle of Kazakhstan under a chute. And so we, we land this little capsule 
Um, and then they we go through, a, a they get us out and into tents and uh, do some initial medical checks and things like that. And then they we fly on a helicopter for about an hour to the nearest local town, near, nearest town. And um, I mean, it's it's really uh, the Kazakh steppe is really vast, vast grasslands of nothing for thousands of miles. And um, they take us to the nearest town and we we do a welcome ceremony. Welcome back to Earth ceremony with the with the uh, indigenous peoples there. And they're really just a really uh, amazingly unique uh, ceremony. Um, And then and then they uh, take us out to the tarmac and stick us on a on a jet uh, NASA jet. And they fly us all the way back to Houston with a couple of refueling stops. Um, and we land in Houston about uh, 24 hours after we after we land, and so we had kind of snacky things on the um, on the plane, and um, and we uh, stopped in Prestwick, Scotland, for our first refueling stop, and then um, and then on to Goose Bay, Gander, Newfoundland, and um, and then into Houston. And as soon as I got into the into quarantine facility, they said. Um, yeah, we've got some food ready for you guys, and Colonel Wheelock, uh, you've got some, you've got some barbecue here from uh, from Memphis, flown in from Memphis, and so uh, um, we all sort of laughed about it, and uh, I shared it with my crewmate uh, Shannon Walker as well, and um, and so we enjoyed that uh, that uh, home barbecue from Memphis, Tennessee. Well, that is that is uh, uh, so cool, Doug, and um, you mentioned. Sharon, is it Sharon Walker? Uh, Shannon Walker. Sh- Shannon she's Walker. actually up there now. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say she's yeah. she's in orbit right yeah. now as we speak, and uh, that's uh, that's so cool. Yeah. She's up there now. Well, yeah, so. uh, man, you know, uh, it's been a real pleasure to uh, uh, to uh, be a friend with you and 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 communicate and talk with you. Uh, it's really interesting everything we talk about and. One of the things that after Doug and I met through the barbecue deal, he must have liked the barbecue so much. He has been with us to Hamvention, I think eight years, seven or eight years now. And look, there's no Hamvention this year, but Doug, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll do again sometime. Now, hey Doug, are you still up at uh, in Cleveland? Yeah, I've got an interesting uh, new project that I'm working on for NASA. So um, you may remember. Uh, back in the Apollo days, we had um, there were the lunar lander training vehicle and the lunar lander research vehicle. I th- I'm getting a little bit of a delay. I'm going to uh, take a second here, Tom, and get off of my. I'm on my um, okay VPN VPN to work. I'm going to. I might go. I might go uh, blank if, for. If just we lose a second you, here. if we lose you, you can connect back or something. And- and we'll have to have you uh, do a reprise of your balloon launch when you when you do come back to Huntsville. Oh, yeah. I would love to yeah. do that. You probably remember my first one, Bill. It was, it was a little scary when we uh, trying to get that thing off the ground. But uh, hey, hey, guys, look. Let me tell you something. That was, but that was fun. We, Doug, I thought, I thought, what's the best way to get a balloon up in this contest? Is to have an astronaut launch it. You know, so. Yeah, I'm no not, pressure. I'm not going to talk bad about you, Doug, but everybody else's balloon went up and you launched in the first launch. It wrapped around an RV mirror. It did. And in it the did. second launch, 
I, and I've got the video. It's so funny. The second launch is we're watching it, and it wraps around a power line. But and, and I see you put your hands on your head like, oh no. And then I'm then I see you going like this. I'm going, what's going on? What's going on? And it freed itself, man. It freed itself and it went up. And I think we did. We get out over. Uh, yeah, it went out over the. Uh, out over the out over the Atlantic, and I think we. Uh, our fate was similar to the Titanic, I believe, yeah. in, in the sim similar area as the Titanic. We went See, down. Um, this was all your fault. Well, this man can remove an appendix. He I, can I know fix, that. I know. You know plumbing I know. on the on the space station. Right. You didn't give him a training class on how to launch a balloon. That's right. All right. Well, Doug, uh, he, this hey, this one right here went around the world three and a half yeah. times. Three and a half times. <laughs> That's awesome. Three and now, so, and we're going to try to launch another one uh, probably in the next uh, week to 10 days. And uh, we hope to stay up a long time. That was up 72 days, by the way. I'm, I'm actually running the um, uh, for the HLS program, which is there at Huntsville, head headquartered there at Huntsville. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm chairing what they call the JTP, the Joint Test Panel. Um, for the three providers, we have three providers right now that are in a, we're actually in the blackout period now, so I can't say a lot of, about the providers, but the, there are three companies that are vying for, um, to build the lunar lander, uh, SpaceX, uh, Dynetics out of Huntsville, um, and uh, Blue Origin, which is the uh, uh, Jeff Bezos company based out of Seattle. And um, those three companies now are in a, in a uh, in a horse race to get this contract it'll be it'll be announced probably sometime early march and i'm uh chairing the joint test panel now um uh to build that lander and so um so it's great fun and so i spent a lot of time right now i'm i'm up near nasa glenn because we're doing a lot of our initial research um and some propulsion testing up here at nasa glenn so i've been uh, been up here and kind of shuttling between here and Houston. And then once we get past this COVID thing, I'll, I'll be joining you down there uh, in Huntsville. Actually, there's world-class, one-of-a-kind uh, test chambers um, out, at, uh, out at Plumbrook Station. And um, one of which is the only real hypersonic uh, wind tunnel on the planet. And then we've got uh, an in-space propulsion facility where we can actually Put a spaceship in a vacuum chamber and light the engines. If you can imagine mm. the technology and engineering that goes behind a test uh, a test cell that's pulled the vacuum and still be able to fire uh, propulsive uh, engines. Uh, like Bill was mentioning, just within the last week or so, uh, the Plumbrook Station uh, facility out in near Sandusky, Ohio, uh, about fifty miles west of Cleveland. Um, has been renamed to the Neil A. Armstrong Test Facility. So it's very, very exciting uh, time for Glenn Research Center. And, of course, um, uh, both John Glenn and uh, Neil Armstrong are, are, uh, are native sons of, uh, of the state of Ohio. And, of course, Ohio is the birthplace of aviation. So, so we're uh, very proud of that facility and the renaming of that facility as well. So, so, and so... Uh, you know, it'd be fun to uh, one of these days during a hamvention uh, to get a get a bunch of us, Tom, and take a take a drive up the road to Wapakoneta. 
Well, we, we can do that. That'd be fun. We can do that. Now, you you went up to the NASA Glen uh, probably a couple years ago, and I thought you were only going to be up there six months. You must have liked it so much. Well, I really like it. Well, Kelly's from here. My wife is yeah. from Ohio, and um, and uh, her her mom and dad live about thirty five minutes from us, and so it's very nice. And and actually, I'm originally from the Northeast, and so I had spent a little over 20 years in Houston. And I, I, I like Houston. It's a great place to live. It's a wonderful place to work. Um, it never really felt like home to me, I think, mm-hmm. because of the sort of the seasonal changes and things that I missed about being home. And I'm originally from upstate New York. And um, and so to be closer to my mom and, and closer to uh, Kelly's parents we, I decided to take a rotational detail up here at NASA Glen, and for six months I was the the director of aeronautics, director of aeronautics for strategy. So I was uh, I was working um, a lot of aeronautics uh, uh, research and uh, in innovation in aeronautics and, and sort of revolution. I was working revolutionary vertical lift um, technology. So we were looking at all different kinds of really cool flying machines. And, um, and I did that for six or so months. And then I was uh, the director of um, safety and mission assurance out at Plumbrook Station for uh, our testing out there uh, for about eight months. And um, and then COVID hit. And uh, and my, my plan to be the director of strategy for NASA up here uh, kind of fell off to the side a little bit and they uh they called me back home to houston and they said how would you like to lead uh, lead us back to the moon and i said i'll do that i'd like to do that so um they made me chair of the um uh, i was reassigned back to the i'm actually back in the active astronaut office uh but on detail to the um, human lander system program and so i'm working a lot of the research on the flight vehicle um, up here uh, from Glenn Research Center, uh, but also working with the other uh, other NASA research centers uh, to develop the, the landers and develop a uh, in-flight trainer to train on the lander. So you uh, you were a test pilot. You've flown a lot of different things here. Uh, isn't there some special NASA plane? There's only two in the world. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe. Oh yeah, is that is that is that something you can talk about or not talk about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the um, actually, it's got an interesting history. The WB fifty seven uh, is actually older than I am, and so. Um, but uh, a lot of times when we think of NASA, uh, I got my badge here. So uh, let's see right here. So what we think of NASA, we we usually when when the the, the greater American public thinks of NASA, we think of little n little a big s little a you know because we always think about space but but aeronautics is the first a in nasa Mm -hmm. and um and of course all of us that do space flight owe our um owe our uh gratitude to um to the pioneers that came before us in aeronautics uh you know starting with the early pioneers you know and then of course those crazy brothers they had a bicycle shop in Dayton that said, "Like one day we're going to fly like birds," and everybody laughed them off the uh, out of the room. And um, 
and here we are, you know, and, uh, and so I, uh, I got a chance to fly when I came back from space in 2010, I was still active duty in the military, uh, as a test pilot and, um, uh, both fixed and rotary wing. And, um, and so I, I was grounded because my eyes were damaged, uh, from the long duration flight from radiation and some other, uh, issues that were on board we had on board my vision was damaged and so i was grounded from flying with nasa but could fly airplanes and so i decided to i signed up for um three tours of duty in afghanistan so i spent uh, the good part of 2011 and 2012 in afghanistan as a commander over there of a what we what we call as a uh, isr task force it's a Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Task Force. And so I spent a good bit of time um, over there in Afghanistan flying a uh, interesting machine, uh, the WB-57. There's only two of them flying in the world and NASA has both of them. And we were using it for um, high altitude reconnaissance. So well, that is, that's about uh, all I can say about it. <laughs> yeah, I understand. That's, uh, that's a cool story there. Well, Doug, I, I don't want to keep you just all night, man. I mean, I, we could talk we could talk to you all night, but <laughs> I, I feel honored that you were able to, you know, carve out some time for us tonight and uh, and, and meet with us and come on the show. My, my pleasure. I'll go ahead and sign off and let you guys uh, uh, talk about other agenda items. But I, I do appreciate you uh, letting me join you. And, uh, Tom, let's stay uh, connected and um, – and uh, and I, I'd love to join you for uh, future meetings, you know, just to even sure. pop in and and.
All right, guys, we are back. Welcome to uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable. Doug, I, I did. Doug, I did not. I did not hear back from you, and I wasn't sure you were going to be here tonight. Yeah, is that okay if I just pop in? Say hello. Absolutely, Absolutely, but you know what? We may have to make you pop in again later. All right, that's no problem. You may have to schedule it and come back again just because you did this. Oh, absolutely. I'd I'd like to join you every week if I could. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, man, we are so glad to have you. Guys, this is a a pleasant surprise. This is our friend, uh, astronaut Doug Wheelock. Astronaut, he was the commander of the uh, I, the International Space Station. Uh, well, that's ISS, right? Did I get that right, Doug? Correct. November Alpha One Sierra Sierra. That's correct. So and that's Doug right. made Doug made like thousands and thousands of contacts on ham radio up there. And uh, I talked to him. I, the way I met Doug, I talked to him twenty nine times one month. I talked to him three times driving home in my truck. Do you believe that? Three times to the space station from the mobile. Anyway, um, he was very nice to take my call that many times. I probably He probably got tired of talking to me. Not at all. But uh, I, I knew Doug was coming down within a week or so, and I said, Doug, can I send you some famous Memphis barbecue? And you said, yes, sir. And I sent it to you, man. How was the barbecue, Doug? It was awesome. Uh, the Corky's barbecue from Memphis. When I was talking to Tom, uh, I was getting I was getting toward the tail end of. I think I only had a week or so left, wasn't it, Tom? And uh, yeah, in, in a six month mission, and so man, I was missing home. I was missing the planet and all the good things uh, you know that we have down here. Uh, you know, evidence of life. Good barbecue, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So I mentioned uh, Corky's barbecue to. Uh, and then I was having dreams the last few days I was up there in space. Um, and then when I got to, we go into a few days of quarantine after we re- returned to the earth for mostly for medical over overwatch and some testing and things, things like that. Um, and, um, and my first meal back, first real meal back on earth was Corky's barbecue. Well, I tell you, I, yeah. I hope, and I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have an official taster, right? I mean, they're not just going to give you any food. And I was, I was real concerned that they were going to let you eat barbecue that I sent you. I, I, I didn't know that was going to even be possible. Well, well, they actually didn't tell me about it until we got back. Uh, we, I actually landed in the Soyuz, which is on land in the middle of Kazakhstan under a chute. And so we, we land this little capsule. Um, and then they... We go through a, a, they get us out and into tents and uh, do some initial medical checks and things like that. And then they, we fly on a helicopter for about an hour to the nearest local town, near, nearest town. And um, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, the Kazakh steppe is really vast, vast grasslands of nothing for thousands of miles. And um, they take us to the nearest town and we, we do a welcome ceremony, welcome back to Earth ceremony with the with the uh, indigenous peoples there, and they're really very just a really uh, amazingly unique uh, ceremony. Um, and then and then they uh, take us out to the tarmac and stick us on a on a jet uh, NASA jet, and they fly us all the way back to Houston with a couple of refueling stops. Um, 
and we land in Houston about uh, 24 hours after we after we land. And so we had kind of snacky things on the um, on the plane, and um, and we uh, stopped in Prestwick, Scotland, for our first refueling stop, and then um, and then on to Goose Bay, Gander, Newfoundland, and um, and then into Houston. And as soon as I got into the into quarantine facility, they said, um, "Yeah, we've got some food ready for you guys." And Colonel Wheelock, uh, you've got some you've got some barbecue here from uh, from Memphis, flown in from Memphis. And so uh, um, we all sort of laughed about it, and uh, I shared it with my crewmate uh, Shannon Walker as well. And um, and so we enjoyed that uh, that. Uh, Home barbecue from Memphis, Tennessee. Well, that is, that is uh, uh, so cool, Doug. And um, you mentioned Sharon. Is it Sharon Walker? Uh, Shannon Walker. Sh- Shannon she's Walker. actually up there now. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, she's yeah. she's in orbit right yeah. now as we speak. And uh, that's, uh, that's so cool. Yeah. Up there now, well, yeah, so. uh, man, you know, uh, it's been a real pleasure to uh, uh, to. Uh, be a friend with you and 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 communicate and talk with you uh it's really interesting everything we talk about and one of the things that after doug and i met through the barbecue deal he must have liked to barbecue so much he has been with us to hamvention i think eight years seven or eight years now and look there's no hamvention this year but doug we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do again sometime now hey doug are you still up at uh, in cleveland yeah, I've got an interesting uh, new project that I'm working on for NASA. So um, you may remember uh, back in the Apollo days, we had um, there were the lunar lander training vehicle and the lunar lander research vehicle. I th- I'm getting a little bit of a delay. I'm going to uh, take a second here, Tom, and get off of my. I'm on my um, okay VPN VPN to work. I'm going to. I, I might go. I might go uh, blank if, for if we just lose a you. If we lose you, you can connect back or something. And cool. Thank you, Hambot. Doug, welcome back, Doug. Thank you, guys. Uh, sorry. To, I so, hope Mike was able to get his talk in. Can you guys hear me? Okay? Yeah, we. Yeah, we did. We did. We. It. It, it worked out just about perfect there. Um, so. Again, Doug, we are we're, we're so pleased to have you join us tonight, and uh, uh, I'm gonna. I, I know you're a busy guy, but you know, you think you <laughs> think you can make it here a couple months or so? Just pop in yep. and say hi. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd Man, love to. Would love. love to. Would love to. So, if you're listening out there on the radio right now uh, on WBCQ, we're talking with astronaut Doug Wheelock. He was the commander of uh, Expedition 25. Is that right, Doug? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you had several other missions up there. I don't remember all of them, but you, you've been up a number of times. How, how, how many times have you been up in orbit? Well, I, ha- I had one uh, short-duration flight. It was a 15-day flight um, on the Space Shuttle Discovery. It was my first mission. Got a chance to do three spacewalks on that mission. And then I went up on a long-duration flight on a Soyuz, up and back on a Russian Soyuz, and I was uh, on the space station for about six months um, as the commander of the space station and got a chance to do three actually emergency unplanned spacewalks on that um, on that mission, which was uh, hopefully in, in my, it would be a chapter in my book one day. It was uh, a really amazing uh, uh, thrill ride, to be honest with you. And uh, uh, so 
th those two missions, a short duration mission and a long duration mission. And now I'm training our, uh, our uh, younger group of astronauts uh, to go back to the moon. So we're very excited about that. So, so Doug, one of your missions that you, one of your spacewalks or whatever you did, I, I, I know you had to work on the solar panels, I think, out there. Now, let me show you something. I've, I've also been working on solar panels. <laughs> Look at this. Now, this is for our next balloon flight. I was going to talk a little about that later tonight. But what you worked on was much bigger than this. There's a lot of solar cells, a lot of power, a lot of current up there. So uh, you, being an astronaut, you got to be a little bit of everything, right? An electrician, a plumber, uh, everything. And, and you, know, well, you don't mess with electricity. Unless you know you, what you're doing, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a real uh, sharp uh, master electrician for sure, but uh, it's a funny story on on that because I uh, I for the longest time my daughter's ceiling fan in her room in her bedroom was had gone bad, and so I bought a new fan. <laughs> and I was in my training, and uh, the fan there the fan sat in the corner of her room in a box for. A couple of months, actually, and uh, I remember coming home uh, um, one day from my sp getting ready from my mission as the commander on the station, and I just passed my master my master's uh, uh, certification as a master of the electrical power system and distribution system <laughs> on the space station, and it was fairly intricate. It's a fairly intricate system. Did, did, did so I remember coming home with my Excuse me, did they cover ceiling fans? Yeah, well, I came home with my my master. I said, check it out. I'm, I'm master of the electrical power systems on the International Space Station. And my daughter looked right at me. She goes, can we do that ceiling fan tonight, Dad? So. Huh. Oh, man. Uh, I hate ceiling fans. I hate them. Yeah. Those, they're real but you know what? Just you know, gravity just, makes the thing all real complicated. So. Yeah, just <laughs> holding, just holding the weight of it up and trying to connect the wires. But seeing this out in space, so it'd be weightless. You ought to be pretty good with that. Yeah, everything's everything's weightless or without uh, uh, noticeable, but everything still has mass, and so you have to be really careful yeah. with the. Uh, because uh, F still equals MA in space, even so, you have to be yeah. really careful moving around outside as well. Well, hey, tell us about the solar panels. How many? You know how much power is there? How many amps you can get out of those things? Or watch yeah, or? I was kind of surprised when we um, uh, the the electrical grid um, is a um, 160 volts uh, uh, direct current D DC power, and uh, those big arrays. Um, uh the the only place that they shunt shunt are able to shunt or control the um the, the uh, electrical charge is in the base of those arrays and so uh, even though it's flopping out there um in in our case it was uh we had a a tear along one of the hinge lines and even though it's um it wasn't fully deployed um and there were some torn panels it still was collecting um uh, solar energy and, and producing electrical uh, current um, and sending it down through the current strip that's on the side of the... Um, and uh, as we were going out um, uh, to do that array, to fix that array, we had to essentially sew up the uh, the solar array with 
cabling and um, some uh, sheet metal we had found. We made essentially cufflinks um, out of this cable that we found inside the space station. And then we went out and essentially put five sutures in that solar array to get it deployed. But um, the scariest moment, I think, and, and uh, because I had no idea, I was sort of naive to the, the amount of current coming through the, uh, the power strip. And, uh, but I was going to be operating with a, we had a 90-degree needle-nose pliers that was going to, the, the problem that caused the tear in the array was a frayed wire, a guide wire. And so our initial steps, I was going to grab the bottom of the wire and pinch it with these um, with these uh, needle nose pliers. And about 40 feet above me, 40 50 feet above me on the array, Scott was gonna was going to cut the um, the fray out of the wire, the the rat's nest that had formed uh, on the fray. And we were just going to take that guide wire out of the um, out of the equation so we could extend the array. And so, but it. But it has a retractable reel uh, that's at the bottom of the array that retracts that cable, and it's a steel cable. Um, it retracts it at ten feet per second, which is which is a pretty strong retraction uh, uh, tension, you know, on the on the cable. And so, um, and so before we went outside, uh, they said, "Hey, uh, make sure you hold on to that cable because if it starts zipping down that solar array, it's going to tear." the bottom half of the array and could flop off and and essentially tear your suit, tear through your suit. I was like, holy crap. I was like, so I better hang on yeah. to that thing. Yeah. And, uh, and unfortunately, the, um, the needle nose pliers, which are metal, um, was about this far, about two to three inches away from the power strip, which is carrying 210 amps mm, mm, mm. Of, uh, of current at 160 volts DC. Uh, power, so I was uh, I was sweating bullets out there, oh, with the, uh, uh, you know, oh. operating that uh, that close to the uh, to the array. So, well, those pliers wouldn't have lasted long if uh, yeah. <laughs> through them. So. Yeah. Right. yeah, I was thinking to myself the whole time. I was thinking to myself, now what's going to happen? Am I going to be just like kind of like become part of this array, or what's going to happen with it? When the, the, when the pliers probably through? would. They would probably have been out there forever, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, hey, hey oh, man, what a dark astronaut. Yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> what a uh, probably, probably would have lit up like a Christmas tree there, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a neat neat, neat story. Now, Doug, um, I, I, you know, over the years we've talked about a lot of these things, but we've got a lot of new viewers here that haven't heard these stories. But you know, you're uh, uh, as I mentioned, you had to be a jack of all trades there and a master of all of them, actually. So, you know, electrician, uh, a plumber, doctor. I mean, you weren't you the medical guy? I mean, tell us about your. How do you get yeah, trained for med yeah. to be a medical guy? Every mission we have, um, we appoint someone to be the chief medical officer for the mission. For the uh, this was a six month mission, and I was going to be the commander. And normally, we we do have a lot of MDs, a lot of medical doctors that are in the astronaut program, both um, in the U.S. and and um, and our Russian partners and our uh, Europe, European partners as well. And so, uh, and so they normally, if there's an MD on the flight, they'll assign that person as the chief medical officer. We didn't have an MD. We had a couple of engineers, a couple of life scientists, and they said, well, you drew the short straw. You're going to be the commander, so you need to be the chief medical officer. So they put me through um, three weeks only of, um, 
training down at Herman Memorial Hospital in, in Houston at the Level 1 Trauma Center in Houston. I spent three weeks on 12-hour shifts um, being supervised by the trauma surgeons there and a NASA surgeon uh, learning how to suture, how to remove an appendix, how to how to um, oh man uh, how to do a catheter, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, draw blood, of course, uh, uh, and and uh, it was uh, how to operate by order baptism by fire. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, Doug, so, do you think uh, if if you had someone had an appendicitis attack, were, were you prepared to take it out up there? Yes, I I, I mean I had to be be able to feel confident that I could do that if I if for some reason we couldn't get back to earth in time and you and have so, all the you have all the uh, tools you need and yes and we do have we have a full set of um, operating tools equipment uh, equipment on on board the uh, station we have a little operating table we have a you know so we we have it all up there and I was kind of hoping gosh I hope I don't have to and I I told my crew when I got finished with my trauma uh, training and I got my certification, um, and then of course we have telemedicine. We have a lot of doctors mm-hmm. on the earth that we're working with as uh, over video conferencing and telemedicine and things like that. But I said to my crew members, three of which who are Russian uh, cosmonauts, and uh, I said, "Okay, here's the deal, guys. <laughs> I'm your doctor on board, so it behooves you all to stay healthy and stay safe." You know. So. All right, so. I want to move on now to one of the other jobs you had. Let's talk about plumbing. You know? Now, yeah. my understanding, if anybody watches the Big Bang uh, TV show, we know who invented the toilet for the uh, space station. I think that was Fruit Loop, wasn't that, it? That was Fruit Loops. And I want to talk about the call signs again here in a minute. But I remember that, Fruit Loops. So Fruit Loops invented this toilet, but... You had to be, you you volunteered to be the plumber one time just to get out of some chores I think. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I was up there for uh, in my six month mission. We were about a week and a half in, a couple weeks in, and um, I was up there. I had the good fortune of being there. The two other um, U.S. Uh, astronauts were two brilliant women PhD scientists, uh, Shannon Walker, who's up there now. A PhD in science and uh, and Tracy Caldwell Dyson, who was also a PhD in life sciences, and uh, both brilliant. Uh, and I, I'm an engineer by trade and a pilot, you know. So I, um, when I had my hands inside the glove box doing uh, any kind of scientific research, I was again sweating bullets, you know, just yeah. hoping I, I was I was kind of uh, uh, I felt like I had you know ten thumbs uh, trying to do the science and. Um, and Shannon came to me one day, and she said, "Hey, the potty's broken." And I said, "Well, we got to fix the potty." She said, "If you fix the potty, I'll do the I'll do all of your science for the rest of the day." You know? <laughs> I said, "That's a deal." And so yeah. we did the you know floating high five, and um, and I went off to do the. I grabbed my tool uh, my toolkit and uh, called Houston and said, "Houston, we have a problem," and uh, pulled the panels off and. Did what we refer to as the dumpster dive uh, back behind the potty, and that it took me about ninety minutes uh, to fix the potty. But I figured out in that ninety minutes that if you're on a spaceship, like trapped on a spaceship, and yeah. um, and you can fix the potty, yeah, you're like Lord of the Universe. That's uh, that's right. Uh, surely though, you have a backup potty, right? 
We do. We actually we do now. We have uh, a potty in the Russian segment, so we, ha- yeah. we do have two potties on board. This okay, station. well that's great. You mentioned fruit. Well, they also loops. have the door oh. outside. You know, you yeah. can just go there. <laughs> we do have the outhouse, Glenn. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I bet it's pretty cold when you open that little door there and you sit down on it right there. But you know, Ooh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so uh, you mentioned you mentioned Fruit Loops a minute ago, and that gets me to your your call sign, your name that you go by. Now, Doug, you're a you you you're a superhero, man. You're an astronaut. You're a hero. <laughs> you're a you're a manly man, and all that. But I understand you almost got a bad call sign in the beginning. You want to tell us what it was? Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of them that I didn't really like, and um, and uh, one of them that I got was Flambo, and I'll, that's a long story. I'll tell on another call, but okay. um, uh, but I got a chance to do uh, that solar array repair uh, spacewalk with um, with Scott Parazinski and Scott. Um, if you, uh, he's kind of legendary at NASA. He uh, he flew five uh, space missions. He um, uh, he has summited Everest. He's a he's a medical doctor, and um, he is just uh, uh, he was a L- Olympic luge uh, athlete as well at, uh, at the Calgary Olympics. He was on the luge, U.S. luge team. And so the guy is like superhuman, right? And so it was my first space flight when we were training. And um, and everybody was getting these cool call signs except for me. It, it was always, usually something a little bit derogatory, you know, that, uh, that uh, you know, from a mistake I made or something, you know. And, um, and so we were in the water one day uh, practicing. We practiced our spacewalks underwater, and we were practicing um, uh, actually – we, we thought we might have some issues with this solar array because they had seen that fray and that guide wire uh, back a, a few months earlier when they retracted the array. And so um, we were in the water, and, uh, and the, uh, uh, our EVA team, our EVA lead, Dina, uh, Dina Contella, who is now a flight director at NASA, which is really pretty cool, but she was our lead uh, sort of our choreographer for our spacewalk. And so we're underwater and she's up in the control room and um, it's like Scott can do no wrong. And so they would say like, wheels, just, just watch Scott do it. Just, and I, I would ask too many questions, you know, and, um, and they said, just move out of the way and let Scott do it, watch him and then do it exactly like him, you know? So, so, and I could hear them laughing in the control room and everything. And you could see the divers, the safety divers laughing and everything. And so, uh, so this one we were going to do, Scott's a little bit taller than I am. And, um, and so Dina came over the, over the PA system in the water and she said, okay, uh, she said, wheels, move out of the way and let Scott do this first. And you just watch him and do it exactly like him. I said, okay. And she said, we're going to put Scott on that, in that foot restraint and we'll, have him use his long beefcake arms and uh, to uh, reach out and and uh, grab that guide wire, you know. And uh, you could hear everybody laughing, including Scott. And, she, and Dina said, okay, new call sign for Scott. We're going to call him Beefcake, you know. And you could see the divers laughing. And, yeah. and I was like, why does he only get, always get the cool call signs, you know. And I said, I said, hey, how about how, did, how come Scott always gets the uh, – the cool call signs, and without skipping a beat, uh, Dina said, "Okay, we'll call you Cupcake." So we had uh, 
We had beefcake and cupcake. Uh, oh man! Well, for our that... space block open space, so I I could never shake the cupcake, and and uh, to this day, uh, uh, some of the folks at NASA call me Commander Cupcake. So is that right? I didn't I didn't know they were were calling you that, um, but yeah, that's a that's a funny story there, Cupcake. Oh man, <laughs> you. Someone was bad as Fruit Loops. I guess. Yeah, bad as Fruit Loops there, you know. And and he wanted to be Rocket Man, but he was Fruit Loops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I noticed someone taught, so mentioned coffee in the chat room earlier. You, you guys got a saying up here about coffee, I think. It's something about today's yeah, coffee. Yeah, I've got my coffee mug here, too. You can probably, hopefully you can see this, but it's, yeah. uh, let me move it over so you can. Yeah, let's see. Zero G and I feel fine from John Glenn, so. Okay. Um, yeah. So on on the I love coffee. I don't know if you guys love coffee, but I'm kind of a. I probably have a coffee problem. I drink so much coffee. But um, uh, on the station, we have a saying that yesterday's coffee is tomorrow's coffee. So we uh, oh, yeah. we recycle everything on board the space station, uh, including our water. We re- we recapture uh, sweat. We recapture our uh, urine and. And um, it's put through a water purifier, and we um, and we end up uh, consuming that water as well. well that is uh, uh, that's uh, very interesting. You know, Doug, I uh, 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 I, I knew uh, Owen uh, Garriott, and I, I was talking to him one time about that. I said, Owen, how do you know that the, the machine you've got that filters that water where you're drinking it? How do you know it's working? And I said, Does it taste funny? And I was trying to make a joke with him. And, boy, he came into a real scientific explanation. And he told me 10 different engineering ways that that water is safe and it's purified. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I just accepted it. Uh, and I thought, like, well, I'm stuck here. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's kind of like, have- what choice do you have? I want my yeah. coffee. Therefore, I'm willing to take the risks. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Oh, so ham radio seems uh, getting more active up there the past uh, few months. Uh, there's oh, been good, a, lot, good. a lot more of activity uh, with a lot of the ham uh, with a lot of the astronauts now, and uh, also they're putting the radio in in a, a slow scan TV mode or a packet mode where people can actually receive pictures from up there. So that's that's uh, real good. But I don't know of anybody that operated ham radio more than you. Maybe maybe Richard Garriott did. Maybe he made like a million contacts, but he wasn't up there very long. But uh, I, I think he was just up there to make ham calls, to tell you the truth. I don't know. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So you've flown up on both. Let's say you've flown on the shuttle and you've come back on the uh, soy, Soyuz, right? Soyuz, so, that's so you got, you got, you've, you've got experience on both of those. Um, which one, and I know the, the shuttle now is been retired so but which one did you like the best the shuttle of course but um but it actually had some there were some interesting surprises in both vehicles um launch and then landing of course uh, coming back through the atmosphere is an interesting ride in any spaceship you come back in um but a much different experience from the space shuttle to a capsule type design and so um uh, and, and the beauty of the space shuttle, which is uh, pretty much um, 
uh, you know, it was a winged spaceship, you know, and and it was it was uh, you know just light years beyond its time. Um, and then you know after we flew so many missions in it, and then we retired it, of course. And so um, uh, there are three shuttles that flew in space that are retired at different museums. So uh, one at the LA Science Center, that's uh, Endeavor is out there. Discovery is at um, at the Smithsonian, uh, out at the Air and Space Museum at Dulles Field and um, in, in DC, outside of DC. And then uh, Atlantis is down at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center uh, complex in Florida. And so if you get a chance to be in any one of those areas, and uh, get a chance to look at those shuttles. And it, um, I suggest that it, I would encourage you to do that. It's a really quite an amazing machine. But the um, the launch on the space shuttle was actually way more violent than I ever anticipated. But it it all kind of makes sense to me now when I look at the. Um, I was a test pilot by trade, and so I was kind of ready for anything, you know. And when you do any kind of flying, especially test flying, you're a lot of your uh, sensory reaction and human in the loop um, reaction, uh, the way you interface with a vehicle, a lot of that comes from seat of the pants type. Uh, the feel, you know, you hear that, listen for the sounds, you listen for, you look for lights and cautions, and you listen to vibrations and feel how the vehicle is moving. And, um, and what I didn't really consider. But now when I think about it, it's so very simple uh, with physics. But you remember the space shuttle uh, had that external tank, you know, and then the two solid rocket boosters on the side of the tank. And then turning it sideways, we'd we just kind of put the shuttle on the side of the tank. And so it was uh, and the roll axis is about this tank. And so your body is sitting about uh, 20, 25 feet uh, from the center of the roll axis. And so when that vehicle would roll, um, uh, you feel like you're on the end of a merry-go-round being spun around, you know, and then the vibration is quite dramatic. Coming back home in the shuttle was very smooth. And uh, and uh, as we burn through the atmosphere, we do a lot of braking turns, a lot of heat. You could see the, um, the orange glow outside the windows a little bit of a buffet, but it was mostly kind of a lateral buffet where the, where everything was just kind of shaking in a sort of in a um, in a vibrational mode. And then we come through the atmosphere and land like a glider, and so it was pretty smooth coming back through. Soyuz exactly the opposite. The uh, sitting on top of a Soyuz rocket and then launching, the thrust vector is right up through the seat of the pants, and so. Uh, you feel a good kick as you come off the pad and pretty good acceleration on that rocket, but it's all kind of down through your chest, you know, so uh, there's not a lot of lateral, there's a little bit of wag, like a tail wag, you can feel the rocket wagging a little bit. But other than that, it's pretty smooth. You, you may have watched a Soyuz launch on NASA TV and you, they're all waving at the camera and things like that, you know, it's very smooth inside. Um, coming back home, exactly the opposite and so i i like to kid that um coming back home in a soyuz capsule and burning back through uh, the atmosphere is kind of like going over niagara falls in a barrel only the barrel's on fire so mm, it's uh, it's quite a quite a ride so yeah well uh 
I, uh, I've looked at a lot of the pictures. I was trying to pull one up here, but I can't find it right now. Uh, you guys in the uh, in the in the saw you coming down. You guys are quite packed in here. It looks like you got packing all around you, and you're kind of you don't move around much, yeah. do you? You don't, and um, yeah, you you don't uh, you don't have much room at all. And um, and uh, I had a window seat. I was in the right side, actually, the right and left. There are three seats, kind of side by side the mm -hmm. commander of the soyuz which is has been always a uh, a russian cosmonaut sits down sort of in the middle seat that's and he's kind of he or she is kind of recessed um into that middle seat and then then the two uh uh other crew members sit up sort of like angled up to the side following the kind of the whole line of the capsule and then each the left and right seat have a window so so I had yeah, a, a pretty incredible uh, window seat coming back. Yeah. You know, my eyes were if if someone could look inside that window and see as it was coming back through the atmosphere, they probably would have seen my uh, my face <laughs> looking out the window like this. Oh and yeah, I, eyes as big, big as dinner plates. You know. Oh, wow, man! But man, there are those of us that would give our left arm to be able to do yeah. that. I know you would. Oh man! I know, I know you would. It was it's quite an amazing. Uh, experience and um and uh now with these later uh, these last few years i'm training people to go and so and i you know i kind of i'm kind of getting to the end of my operational i hope to go again i don't know if i'll get a chance to but um but there's a lot of joy and a lot of uh reward in training others to get ready for this you know and uh because i can kind of reflect back and see myself uh and remembering those times when I was just, you know, uh, just nervous and fearful. And um, it was always good to have a, a, a seasoned veteran kind of uh, talk you through the what you're going to see and feel and experience. So. Well, you guys have brought on a lot of new astronauts, I guess, since you've been in, right? Since you joined. Yeah, we have. I, I, gosh, it's gone by so fast. It's like... Uh, um, it seems like just yesterday, of course, I, I'm sure you guys in your professions feel that way as well. It's like, hey, wait a second. I was just like 18, you know. And um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, we have a, a – but I've been – I, I started as an astronaut in August of 1998. So I've been an astronaut for 22 years, which is just – blows my mind. But, uh, um, but yeah, we've got a lot of uh, great new astronauts uh, coming along the way, uh, uh, just really smart people. When I when I'm working with a lot of these guys and gals, um, I think to myself, "Man, I'm so glad I got in under the wire when I did, because I don't know if I could compete with these uh, uh, these guys." You know, so um, but it's been it's been really fun, and I'm working on a cool new project now. Uh, we're going back to the moon, and our our sort of our marching orders are boots on the moon in 2024. So I'm trying to figure out how we uh, properly train people uh, to land uh, to land a craft on the moon and then get out and do spacewalks on the surface and everything uh, using today's technology uh, to be able to train, uh, have both fixed-based mock-ups, full motion-based simulation, and then like some sort of flying craft that we could put people in that can replicate the dynamics uh, the lunar environment and so um so i'm going to be test flying a new vehicle here coming up this summer 
And um, I'm, I'm currently sitting in Ohio at our home here in Ohio. As I've been on a detail with um, at the NASA Glenn Research Center near Cleveland. It actually shares the airport with the, with the Cleveland airport. And, um, and west of there is the Plumbrook Station facility, which has now actually just been renamed, uh, I think, about a week ago to the Neil Armstrong uh, Test Facility. And so we are looking at, and, and NASA Glenn is the center of excellence uh, for NASA for electrified aircraft propulsion. And so we are looking at all electric airplanes uh, to be able to um, have a, have a uh, in-flight trainer, much like the lunar lander training vehicle uh, that we had back in Apollo. And we built we built five of those things, and three of them had to be ejected from and then ended up smoking holes at Ellington Field in oh, Houston. Yeah. And so the two that are left, one is on display in uh, at Johnson Space Center in Houston, and the other one is out at the Air Force Flight uh, Flight Test Museum out at Edwards Air Force Base. But, but we're looking at, um, it's called eVTOL. It's electric uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. And um, and we're looking at all the different battery technology, and essentially, it's essentially a flying car, and um, and so we're going to be right on the leading edge of uh, of um, of that uh, of that technology. And uh, the the real interesting thing, uh, Tom, that I wanted to mention to you is that we're going to be doing our testing out of Wright Patterson Air Force Base, uh, the Air Force Research Lab, right there in Dayton. And um, so I'm going to be down uh, flying out of Springfield Airport um, uh, just east of Dayton and out of Wright-Patterson. So when the Hamvention gets fired back up in Dayton, I'll be right there with you. Well, we'll uh, we'll be sure to have a spot for you there. You know, Doug, you're talking about now the new technology that you're looking at for this. Back, Back when Apollo went up, that was pretty crude technology back then. I mean, the the computer was like uh, a, a gift card or something. I mean, it wasn't yeah. much. Yeah. I don't I don't see how they did it. I, I I can't even imagine. As I was going through, we just did a a months long feasibility study looking at different concepts, and um, and I kept thinking back because one of the one of the what we used as a baseline is taking those old. LLTVs. You can just Google the LLTV, and you'll see pictures and things on there. The lunar lander training vehicle, and then there was an LLRV, which is a lunar lander research vehicle. And um, you take a look at those. And Neil Armstrong actually punched out of one of them. Uh, if you got a chance to read Neil's story, um, uh, you know his his uh, story in the movie was uh, was the first man. And I'm I'm just now reading through the book, uh, uh, First Man, and uh, and looking at his experiences with the LLTV, because we did get some feedback from Neil on that um, uh, back about uh, 15 years ago or so when we talked to all the Apollo um, astronauts about this. And so, so one of the things we did, we sent the folks at Langley off to take a look as I okay, take a look at the way the um, LLTV operated back during Apollo and tell me what it's going to cost and what the technology risks are to just build it with modern technology. And um, 
And just looking at that was just amazing to watch uh, our engineers kind of peel through how that thing was designed and how, how simple it was, but how like revolutionary it was at the time, you know, it was really the first fly by wire uh, vehicle, you know, where you move a control stick that through an electrical impulse, uh, you know, moved, uh, moved uh, fired rocket uh, thrusters and things like that. I so a quick surge. I, this is probably not even it. This is not what we're talking about. Is it? No, no, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. But, um, uh, let me see if I can. Well, I, I'll uh, awesome. next time. Yeah. Next time, I'll, I'll I'll give you a talk about our feasibility study. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I was a child of that era and saw every launch and every flight. And oh man, I mean this. It was wonderful to see all that. Yeah. It was. Uh, what a, what a time to be alive. Huh? I mean, it's yeah, just it really uh, was. It's well, really Doug, really really were- incredible. I mean, Doug, you're, uh, I, I know you, you classified yourself as one of the NASA old-time geezers, but you were, you're, you're still a pretty young guy. You were a young guy when uh, we went to the moon. I think yeah, you talked about watching it on TV, I believe. Absolutely, yeah. I, um, um, let me see if I can uh, – Can I? am I able to share yeah, my you screen? Can. You sure can. Let me see if I can pull this up and uh, let's, uh, let's do – want to share let's do i don't want to do my entire screen i want to do um oh come on let, let's see all the nasa secrets <laughs> well it looks like in addition to yeah. being a master electrician you're also a master zoom person here yeah yeah he's got the ufo files on that other screen we want them yeah but uh, <clears throat> can you see my screen uh no yeah i'm seeing oh now, there you go that's it yeah 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 Got it. I remember that. Yeah, that's the. Uh, can you see that? Yeah, Picture? I saw yes. that. I saw some of the test. I think where they ejected out of it, or maybe or something. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the LL uh, TV, which is the Lunar Lander Training Vehicle. We built we built three of these, and uh, there were two ejections out of those two vehicles. There's one left, and it's um, it's on display at a building. Um, uh, in uh, kind of a museum piece on the ceiling. It's actually displayed on the ceiling of, of, of uh, one of the buildings at Johnson Space Center in Houston. And then we built the two of the LLRVs. But, uh, um, but anyway, that's, uh, let me uh, stop sharing here and see if I can, I hope I didn't mess anybody's screen up, so. Okay. So, but I don't see you, you're not there. Okay, let me see what happened to me there. I stopped sharing. Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay, let me do cancel that and just turn the camera back on. Yeah, Zoom gets a little quirky sometimes. Yeah, we usually do. um, Do you guys see me? I don't Uh, see me, but. Looks like you're no, in, the darkness. Looks there like you are. in the darkness of uh, outer space. There you are. <laughs> you, you came in here. Came in. Um, well, I see if, if I had been doing that during the show, Doug, I'd been panicking right now because everybody's <laughs> watching. But 
No, he can do it at Penn. There is no cool. need for him to pan. Yeah, okay? You got that coolness. Well, Tom, Tom, we could we could put a man on the moon, but we can't. Uh, you know, we can't project yeah. our screen. And... Well, I was going to say you got that coolness where nothing seems to bother you, and that kind of reminds <laughs> me of one of the Apollo missions when they when yeah. they were going to take off from the moon and go back. The switch was broken to blast yeah. off. Now, how would you feel, Doug, if you were on the moon and you're ready to come home now and your switch is broken? You gotta feel. You gotta. You gotta figure out how MacGyver would do it. You right. know, you just gotta. Yeah, and you I, have to. I think he used a ballpoint pen or something to to yeah. to trip it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, all you do is you open up that drawer that says paper clips. That's right. You got, you got one of those locks on it. You open that, and you're set to go anywhere. Yeah, I, Doug, tell us. You know, I I would imagine. I'm guessing that you guys have duct tape up here. Oh yeah. Do you oh use yeah. It? Do you use it a lot? Lots, lots and lots of duct tape on the station. They got duct tape. They got a three D yeah. printer. Okay, they can do anything. All yes. Right. Well, before too, before too long, I imagine we'll be three D printing duct tape. Maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I, I don't know how you get the sticky on there, but that's uh, that's cool. Now, uh, tell us a little about. The the uh, the uh, space station there it, it's getting pretty old man does that thing leak any you got any leaks in it oh goodness it's it leaks like a sieve not not really but um, we do we have experienced over the last several months a leak you probably may have seen in the press uh, uh -huh. um, we've been trying to track down a a leak and we think we've identified the module it's in it's one of the older sort of docking adapters in the Russian segment and so. I think it's just sort of past its useful life, you know, and so uh, we just make do with what we have. Uh, uh, we do have leak sealing, um, you know, interestingly enough, you know, since the, the station has been going sort of uh, continually inhabited by humans for 20 years now, we just went over the 20 year mark and, um, and the fortunately the, the unfortunate thing is all of that technology up there is 20, 30 years old, you know, and uh, but all the technology we use to fix it is modern technology. And so our leak detection and leak uh, sealing uh, materials and things like that are our newer materials. And so we've been able to kind of hobble along uh, uh, with the modern technology, uh, how to detect and and um, and uh, so it's not a, a bucket full of flex seal. I'm thinking to myself, when I see that guy on TV yeah. with that flex seal, I'm thinking like, let's just ship up a couple of gallons of that, uh, of that right. stuff and just kind of paste the wall of that, uh, of that module. And, you know, Doug, another thing, you know, it takes you back to like refrigeration, uh, these refrigeration guys, heating and air guys. You could, you could uh, put uh, red dye, you know, all inside. And you can look out the window and see kind of where that red dye is leaking. And that would help you find the leak. You could do that, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose you could do that. I, I'm not sure. but <laughs> we, You know, we do. Uh, they actually discovered one of the cracks. And this is very interesting. All the, <coughs> excuse me, we have an ultrasonic leak detector up there. It's kind of, you know, with the he headphones and you just kind of wave this wand to try to uh, listen for the um, mm -hmm. for the leak path, you know, and the way they found it uh, uh, is that they could hear it inside of this little adapter, 
uh, the, one of the Russians took a tea bag and uh, took um, and uh, took some crushed up tea leaves and just kind of floated them in the middle of the. And they watched which direction they went, and they went right to that where that crack was. It took them a little That's little while, but all those tea leaves went to the cracks. So that's interesting. So, Doug, is there some way to make oxygen up there, or do you have to carry the oxygen up? I mean, you're talking about leaking out. So I, yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, we, 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 we do carry oxygen with us. We have uh, stored uh, storage tanks of oxygen on the outside of the space station that's plumbed inside. Uh, we also um, have a device up there called the electric, Electron, and we have another one that's called Sabatier that um, takes water. Uh, sometimes when we have, uh, we, we produce a lot of water on the shuttle. We produced a lot of water out of, out of, as a byproduct out of our fuel cells that were on the space shuttle. Uh, but on the space station, we have a lot of water that we're recapturing that we put into this electron and it cracks it apart and uh, we have hydrogen gas and oxygen to breathe. We, we pump the oxygen back in the cabin and um, most of the hydrogen we vent overboard, but we also have experiments that use hydrogen as a fuel and so we, um, uh, or a component of the, um, of the experiment. So we can also kind of plumb that hydrogen over to one of the experiments as well. So um, we, we make good use of every drop of water and every, uh, every molecule of oxygen as well. Well, cool. hey, let There's me, a question make... in the chat room there. Yeah. Uh, is there an end of life date for the space station? Great question. I think originally, you know, when we were thinking of launching this, I think the station was going to stay on orbit until 2010. You know, this is back in 1990. And uh, stay in orbit until 2010, you know. And 2010 is when I flew my commandership mission, you know. And so here we are, uh, 2020 and 2021, and um, the life of the station has been extended to 2025 now um, with, uh, with the anticipation that we'll get further extension out to around 2030, something like that. So, um, like I said, we're, uh, you know, we're, our, our, the technology that we have up there is old technology that's very robust, it's very reliable, but it is aging and, and being, uh, being weathered by the uh, radiation, of course, outside. And, and there is corrosion from atomic oxygen that's off-gassing and things. And so, uh, so things, are, things break from time to time and go bad from time to time. So we, um, uh, where the technology advancement comes into play is in detection of those faults and um and uh repair and replacement of those uh that hardware as well it's, so uh, it's kind of like kind of like the b52 you know they're over 50 years old yes there still, you go still updating them they may be flying at 100 years old i don't know yeah. there you go there you go and uh, i mean there's there's young kids right now I'll call them kids uh in the air force flying the b52 that's as old as a grandparent of theirs so mm-hmm. yeah let me, yeah. let me make a quick announcement here. If you're listening out there on International Shortwave, we're talking to NASA astronaut Douglas Wheelock. Uh, he's with us tonight, and uh, it's been a great uh, conversation about ham radio and space and all the things going on, on up here. Um, let's see. Uh, let me, we got Bill coming in. Let me uh, admit Bill. 
And, and Tom, I didn't want to, I, I know I'm horning in on your time. So, so uh, when you, uh, if you need to get back to your agenda items, I, I certainly can bow out and rejoin well, at another meeting. I think no, everybody, you're everybody will agree you are the agenda tonight. You're you're the uh, you're the, the the person here. We got Bill. Brown they can see us Bill, anytime, Bill, uh, man. They don't get to see you that much. Where's Where's Bill? Bill, you there? He's working on it. He's working on it. We got Bill Brown, a friend of mine. It does our balloons with us, and uh, he works for NASA down in uh, Huntsville. Hey, Bill. Where's Bill? He's uh, still connecting his he's, audio. He's still working. He's still working on it. Well, Doug, um, hey, Hamvention is gone. I still want to get you down to the Huntsville Ham Fest with us some year, man. You're going to have to plan for that. And, I definitely uh, will do that. Well, do you think uh, – I have the feeling that May might be out for – have they already oh, called they, it off? They've already announced it. it, it uh, Ham, Hamvention is uh, canceled. Uh, okay. Huntsville is in August. I don't know if they'll make it or not, but we'll see. Okay. And you Great. you uh, you did your you did a lot of your flying, didn't you, down at Redstone Arsenal down there? I, I did. I did. I, w I flew in the army for uh, a number of years. I did a lot of flying out of Redstone and down at Fort Rucker, Alabama, down in L. A. Lower Alabama, yeah, we used to call it. And uh, yeah, so um, I spent a lot of time down there in Huntsville. So area, hey, so. Redstone Arsenal, and hey, you got. You got NASA there and, and Huntsville. Marshall and Space, Space Flight Center. Center there, yeah. You ought to be able to figure out a way to get a business trip down there in August, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, our um, I'm working on this, uh, the the Lunar Lander, and so it's a, the new program is the HLS program. It's a human lander system program, and it's actually being, uh, it's out of Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville. So our program office that I'm working for, is out of Marshall, so I uh, definitely will be down there when we get back to traveling uh, in a normal fashion. I'm sure I'll I'll be spending a lot of time down in Huntsville. And we'll have to have you uh, do a reprise of your balloon launch when you when you do come back to Huntsville. Oh, yeah. I would love to yeah. do that. You probably remember my first one, Bill. It was, it was a little scary when we uh, trying to get that thing off the ground. But uh, hey, hey guys, look, let me tell you something. That was, but that was fun. We, Doug, I thought, I thought, what's the best way to get a balloon up in this contest? Is to have an astronaut launch it, you know? So, yeah, no pressure. I'm not going to talk <laughs> bad about you, Doug, but everybody else's balloon went up and you launched in the first launch. It wrapped around an RV mirror. It did. And in it the did. second launch, I, and I've got the video. It's so funny. The second launch is we're watching it, and it wraps around a power line. But and, and I see you put your hands on your head like, oh no! And then I'm then I see you going like this. I'm going, what's going on? What's going on? And it freed itself, man. It freed itself and it went up. And I think we did. We get out over. Uh, yeah, it went out over the. Uh, Atlantic, out over the out over, over the Atlantic, the and I think we. Uh, our fate was similar to the Titanic, I believe, yeah. in, in a similar, similar area as the Titanic. We went See, down. Um, this was all your fault. Well, this man can remove an appendix. He I, can I know fix, that. I know. You know plumbing I know. on the on the space station. Right. You didn't give him a training class on how to launch a balloon. That's right. All right. Well, Doug, uh, he, this hey, this one right here went around the world three and a half yeah. times. Three and a half times. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Three Did, and now, so, and we're going to try to launch another one uh, probably in the next uh, week to ten days, and uh, we hope to stay up a long time. That was up seventy-two days, by the way. I'm a- I'm actually running the um, uh, for the HLS program, which is there at Huntsville, at the headquartered there at Huntsville. Um, I'm 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 chairing what they call the JTP, the Joint Test Panel. Um, for the three providers, we have three providers right now that are in a, we're actually in the blackout period now, so I can't say a lot of, about the providers, but the there are three companies that are vying for um, to build the lunar lander, uh, SpaceX, uh, Dynetics out of Huntsville, um, and uh, Blue Origin, which is the uh, uh, Jeff Bezos company based out of Seattle. And um, those three companies now are in a, in a uh, in a horse race to get this contract, it'll be it'll be announced probably sometime early March, and I'm uh, chairing the joint test panel now um, uh, to build that lander, and so um, so it's great fun, and so I spend a lot of time right now. I'm I'm up near NASA Glenn because we're doing a lot of our initial research um, and some propulsion testing up here at NASA Glenn. So I've been uh, been up here and kind of shuttling between here and Houston. And then once we get past this COVID thing, I'll, I'll be joining you down there uh, in Huntsville. Actually, there's world-class, one-of-a-kind uh, test chambers um, out at uh, out at Plumbrook Station. And um, one of which is the only real hypersonic uh, wind tunnel on the planet. And then we've got uh, an in-space propulsion facility where we can actually put a spaceship in a vacuum chamber and light the engines. If you can imagine mm. the technology and engineering that goes behind a test uh, a test cell that's pulled the vacuum and still be able to fire uh, propulsive uh, engines. Uh, like Bill was mentioning, just within the last week or so, uh, the Plumbrook Station uh, facility out in near Sandusky, Ohio, uh, about 50 miles west of Cleveland, um, has been renamed to the Neil A. Armstrong Test Facility. So it's very, very exciting uh, time for Glenn Research Center. And, of course, um, uh, both John Glenn and uh, Neil Armstrong are, are, uh, are native sons of, uh, of the state of Ohio. And, of course, Ohio is the birthplace of aviation. So, so we're uh, very proud of that facility and the renaming of that facility as well. So, so, and so uh you know, it'd be fun to uh, one of these days during a hamvention uh, to get a get a bunch of us, Tom, and take a take a drive up the road to Wapakoneta. Well, we can do that. That'd be fun. We can do that. Now, you you went up to the NASA Glen uh, probably a couple years ago, and I thought you were only mm-hmm. going to be up there six months. You must have liked it so much. <laughs> well, I really liked it. Well, Kelly's from here. My wife is yeah. from Ohio. And um, and uh, her her mom and dad live about thirty five minutes from us, and so it's very nice. And and actually, I'm originally from the Northeast, and so I had spent a little over twenty years in Houston. And I I, I like Houston; it's a great place to live. It's a wonderful place to work. Um, it never really felt like home to me. I think mm-hmm. because of the sort of the seasonal changes and things that I missed about being home and. I'm originally from upstate New York, and um, and so to be closer 
to my mom and, and closer to uh, Kelly's parents, we, I decided to take a rotational detail up here at NASA Glenn. And for six months, I was the, the director of aeronautics, director of aeronautics for strategy. So I was, uh, I was working, um, a lot of aeronautics, uh, uh, research and uh, in innovation in aeronautics and, and sort of revolution. I was working revolutionary vertical lift um, technology. So we were looking at all different kinds of really cool flying machines. And, um, and I did that for six or so months. And then I was uh, the director of um, safety and mission assurance out at Plumbrook Station for uh, our testing out there uh, for about eight months. And um, and then COVID hit, and uh, and my my plan to be the director of strategy for NASA up here uh, kind of fell off to the side a little bit, and they uh, they called me back home to Houston, and they said, "How would you like to lead uh, lead us back to the moon?" I said, "I'll do that. I'd like to do that." So um, they made me chair of the. Um, uh, I was reassigned back to the, I'm actually back in the active astronaut office, uh, but on detail to the um, human lander system program. And so I'm working a lot of the research on the flight vehicle um, up here uh, from Glenn Research Center, uh, but also working with the other uh, other NASA research centers uh, to develop the, the landers and develop a uh, in-flight trainer to train on the lander. So you, uh, you were a test pilot. You've flown a lot of different things here. Uh, isn't there some special NASA plane? There's only two in the world. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe. Oh yeah. Is that is that is that something you can talk about or not talk about? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the um, actually, it's got an interesting history. The WB57 uh, is actually older than I am, and so. Um, but uh, a lot of times when we think of NASA, uh, I got my badge here, so uh, let's see right here. So we think of NASA, we, we usually, when, when the, the, the greater American public thinks of NASA, we think of little n, little a, big S, little a, you know, because we, we always think about space. But, but aeronautics is the first A in NASA. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, of course, all of us that do space flight owe our... Um, Oh, our uh, gratitude to um, to the pioneers that came before us in aeronautics. Uh, you know, starting with the early pioneers. You know, and then of course those crazy brothers that had a bicycle shop in Dayton that said like, one day we're going to fly like birds, and everybody laughed them off the uh, out of the room. And um, and here we are. You know, and uh, and so I uh, I got a chance to fly when I came back from space in 2010. I was still active duty in the military uh, as a test pilot and um, uh, both fixed and rotary wing. And um, and so I I was grounded because my eyes were damaged uh, from the long duration flight from radiation and some other uh, issues that were on board. We had on board. My vision was damaged, and so I was grounded from flying with NASA but could fly airplanes. And so I decided to, I signed up for um, three tours of duty in Afghanistan. So I spent uh, the good part of 2011 and 2012 in Afghanistan as a commander over there of a, what we, what we call as a uh, ISR 
task force. It's an intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance task force. And so I spent a good bit of time um, over there in Afghanistan flying a uh, interesting machine, uh, the WB-57. There's only two of them flying in the world, and NASA has both of them. And we were using it for um, high-altitude reconnaissance. So. Well, that is, that's about uh, all I can say about it. <laughs> yeah, I understand. That's a, that's a cool story there. Well, Doug, I, I don't want to keep you just all night, man. I mean, I, we could talk we could talk to you all night, but <laughs> I, I feel honored that you were able to, you know, carve out some time for us tonight and uh, and, and meet with us and come on the show. My, my pleasure. I'll go ahead and sign off and let you guys uh, uh, talk about other agenda items. But I, I do appreciate you uh, letting me join you. And, uh, Tom, let's stay uh, connected and um, – and uh, and I, I'd love to join you for uh, future meetings. You know, just to even sure. pop in and and. So Doug, uh, you need to get back down and make another trip to St. Jude. Uh, yeah, your, yeah. Your room upstairs is your room is ready for you, if you want to come yeah. back. You know. Absolutely. And, let's, uh, let's. You know, hey, if you and Kelly, if you and Kelly want to come back, uh, we'll take care of you. You can have my. You have your choice of a, a truck or a, or a car. Okay. Okay. I'll let you have okay. your choice, whichever sure. one you want. You know. Does the hand handheld uh, ham come oh, with it? it, it, it has, well, the truck has radios in it, so you you can take that one there. And <laughs> yeah. hey, say hello to Kelly for yes. us. I will. We miss her, and uh, thanks again for for being with us tonight, man. We really enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you, guys. Uh, please, everyone. Thank you. Uh, everyone, stay safe, healthy, and happy, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Seventy-three, right. Doug. Great to meet Take you. Take care, Doug. Have you on tonight. Seventy-three is you guys. See Seventy-three. All right, guys. Very we've been talking with uh, astronaut Doug Wheelock uh, from NASA and uh, a great friend of ours, and uh, we've known him for a number of years now. And uh, every time we talk to him, it's just more exciting. It's just the stories. Uh, uh, man, it's just unbelievable. Oh, it's just it's unbelievable. just fun. You know, he, he's got so many stories, and he's been through so much. I didn't realize they went through that level of training. Oh, yeah, yeah. And golly. Yeah, he'd be a good guy to have in case your appendix burst or something like well, that. I think he's know? one step down from MacGyver. I mean, really. That's right. He he is a MacGyver. He, he's, a, he's a true MacGyver, for sure. All right. Well, that was unexpected. Well, it was kind of unexpected. I had been talking to Doug about coming on, but he, he didn't tell me when he was coming. I didn't get an email back, and uh, he just popped in. Tonight was actually the first uh, first night. I, I said, you know, can you be on tonight? Can you be on next week? And here he was. So I wasn't totally surprised when I saw his name pop up there. You know, it's connecting. We're always glad to have Doug there. And we're going to try. We're going to try to get him down to uh, Huntsville Hamfest. That's a that's a good ham fest. Oh yeah, that'll be fun. All right, so let's see. Uh, we're doing okay, I guess. Alan, you have something special to talk about tonight, I think. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Special. It's not not the particularly you know as uh, kind of exciting as what Doug was talking about. It's just uh, um, you know got some uh, unfortunate news this morning um, about uh, a, a good friend of mine. Uh, that uh, passed away this morning became a silent key, mm-hmm. and we have, we never like to hear that. And uh, but it's he's one of these guys that uh, I've known for many many years. 
Uh, and actually, maybe what I'll do, if you don't mind, I'm going to share sure. my screen here, and uh, I'll put a couple of pictures up here. Uh, and uh, let's see. Let's uh, put uh, this guy up here. So this is my friend Drew, W2OU. Um, I've known him for probably as long as I've been a ham. In fact, he was one of the VEs that initially tested me um, many years ago. So uh, Drew, uh, was 73 just a couple of days ago. Uh, really fantastic guy. He's a member of at least four or five radio clubs that I know of. Uh, I'm a member of, of many of those same clubs. I've known him that long. And um, he's been, uh, he's probably responsible for uh, getting several thousand uh, amateurs licensed. And I'm not kidding about that. If, you, uh, if you're a VE and you go to the uh, ARRL uh, website and look up the VEs and you can look up the number of sessions that they've, they've been in, uh, he's, I think he's number one in New Jersey. Uh, he's been involved with, and in many cases, been the VE coordinator for 449 VE sessions. So he's been, you know, instrumental in, in getting a lot of people started and upgraded uh, through, you know, in their amateur radio career. So this picture was taken at uh, one of the clubs, uh, W2QW in central New Jersey here, the Raritan Valley Radio Club Ham Fest in 2019, uh, which is the last time we've had that, that, that Ham Fest. Uh, I had my little QRP station set up there, which is kind of right behind where this picture was taken. Um, but this was, uh, this was Drew there. Um, there's a picture of Drew here. Uh, he was always really proud to be a VE, and uh, in this case, uh, um, you know, just taking some pictures with folks that uh, that uh, you know got licensed and things like that it was always uh, he was always uh, willing to do that. Just another really good picture of uh, Drew here, um, and uh, always always willing to help. Fantastic uh, example of a of a real Elmer. There's uh, Drew's wedding picture. I'm not sure what year he was married, but <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of a a fun picture. Uh, another picture of Drew probably in the last couple of years. Um, and as I think this is uh, from one of his uh, family event here. I just had to, ha had to have a bunch of pictures of Drew. There's uh, Drew with uh, a couple of his grandsons and, uh, and then with his, uh, his dog. But uh, just a great guy. Uh, like I said, he's a, he's a member of you know, several ham clubs, uh, VE coordinator, you know, almost 450 sessions, also involved in local community emergency response teams and also helped coordinate uh, putting together a ham radio classes for those CERT teams and things like that. So really a true Elmer and uh, really a loss uh, for me personally and certainly a loss for the hobby as well. But just wanted to kind of at least uh, you know, share uh, and let more people know about Drew, just a great guy, and uh, we'll all be remembering him and keeping him and his family now in our thoughts. So, but uh so I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that. I know it's sorry about the bit of a downer after such an exciting session with with Doug, but uh, it's just one of those things that happened today that uh, yeah, you want people to kind of think and honor honor his memory. So I think I appreciate you letting me do that. No, it's yeah. important, and, and thank you. Yeah, there's been a lot of people um, affected by the uh, COVID. In fact, uh, you know. We, uh, we've got a long time here, almost a year, but y you know, the last month or two or three months, you're, we're starting to see it get closer and closer to us. Yeah. You know, more people yeah, that we yeah, know. I, I don't have the details of why he yeah. passed. I don't think it was actually COVID related. Uh -huh. 
Um, I know he's had some medical issues and things like that, so I don't know whether this is, I, I don't think it was a COVID-related thing, but it oh. uh, just happens during this time, in which case, you know, we, we're not even going to be able to get together, you know, to honor him properly because yeah. of that, so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. Hey, guys, you're listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable, a ham radio show, and you're listening out there on International Shortwave, WBCQ on 7490. It's all about ham radio, amateur radio. And uh, you can join us live on Tuesday nights just by going to W5KUB.com, W5KUB.com, and clicking on video. Or or if you just want to go to YouTube, you can go straight to YouTube and just put in W5KUB, and you'll find us on uh, Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, Shoot us an email. Let us know where you are if you're listening out there on uh, shortwave. All right. Well, I had the phone system geared up to open phones tonight, but I don't think we'll do that. We, we don't have uh, that much more time. And, Alan, you had a segment. We can do that next week. Yeah, that'll work fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't anything you know, uh, you know, crazy, so I think okay. we'll, we'll hold it for next time. It'll be great. Yeah, and I, I need to look at my schedule and see... I think we've got somebody else planned for next week. I, 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 well, I can't keep up with it. As Kathy and I talk, this is kind of like Friday night for me. You know, I work hard all day on Friday getting the show together, and then Friday night when it's over, Tuesday night when it's over, it's like Friday night. So we have a joke around here that it's Friday night, and tomorrow is my Saturday. So, um. Thank, uh, we just want to thank everybody uh, that's helped us, uh, helped us here. Uh, help us get the word out about the show uh, each week. And if you see our posting in Facebook, uh, share it. Uh, send it out in, um, in, in Twitter or whatever other social media you have. It helps us to uh, get the show out. Oh, one of the things I, I need to mention to you, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe right now. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, up in the uh, uh, in the uh, YouTube there, hit the subscribe button, and if you will, uh, hit the like button. And the like button helps us to get our rankings higher. And if we can get our rankings higher, then then YouTube actually uh, takes our show and and it places it where more people can see it and find it. So uh, do that and. Um, also, uh, hey, if you want to get notified when we're live, sometimes we have um, unscheduled live events some evening or afternoon. So hit that little bell, hit the bell next to the subscribe button, and that'll send you uh, a notice when, we, when we're live. So we really uh, uh, appreciate you uh, doing that. Carolina says, I love the setup behind you. The setup behind me is actually my workbench. It's actually my workbench, but... This is uh, all done by magic. My workbench is actually over there. So I can also I can also get in front of my ham station. There's my there's my ham station right there. I can I can get behind my ham station. Or hey, a lot of people like this one. Look at this. This is my super station right here. Reach up, turn that turn that little uh, knob right here on that Johnson matchbox here. And for all you guys up north, we we have a studio up north. Hey, that, Tom, which uh, one's the real background? Yeah, we have a what? What was it, Bill? What's the real background? 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you a minute. There's, uh, there's the, uh, uh, our northern uh, studio, and here's our southern studio. <laughs> and uh, we can always go to Studio B. If we, if we need to, we can go to Studio B, which is right here. This is kind of neat, but I don't know. What he's not telling you is that that northern studio shot he has was live yesterday. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you really want to see what's behind me, there you go, right there. That's what's behind me, right there. Uh. <laughs> so now, now you know, now you know the secret to our broadcast here. All right, well, guys, we, we've had a kind of a, a fun night tonight. It was great talking with uh, Doug. Oh, I love talking to him. He's fun. That was that was really a great program. So so many yeah. interesting stories, and I'm, I know you've had him on before, and you've had him on previous programs. So there's oh. probably a lot of stories that he's told that he may not tell again. But I I, I need to go back and watch so I can, I can hear all these stories. Uh, he'll, uh, he'll these tell, were all new to me. Again. This is the and, first time I've heard these. And, and you know you know the thing you know I mean I, I Doug Doug has actually you know spent the night here at home, and I've spent a lot of a lot of time with Doug and. He, the the stories are just so interesting, and, and it just it's just amazing. Um, and you know when he's signing autographs for people at like at Hamvention, you know he's been up there with us I think eight years now. But when he uh, when he signs autographs for people, they, they're in a long line, and a person will ask him a question and. He will answer that question just like it's the first time that someone has ever asked him that question. And so over and over and over, uh, his personality is just just outstanding, and uh, uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he's a lot of fun. Let me show you. Uh, I've got a quick video here. Um, I want to show you something that, Bill has worked in the, the firmware code and has helped us get ready for our next launch. We hope to launch uh, our next uh, balloon here in maybe maybe the next week or so. Uh, uh, I want you to see this, and Bill, I may not ex describe it exactly right. Uh, there is one error in here. I said the, the CW was five words a minute. Uh, I think if you'll look at the chart at the end, you'll see it's 11. I want to run this as about a minute and a half. I want to show you guys what we're doing uh, and what you'll be able to do new when you're following the balloon. So here we go. And I don't know if you guys are going to hear it. You guys are probably not going to hear it um, uh, out there uh, remotely, but uh, the, the viewers will. So here we go. Here is at, at minute one, and you'll see the chart at the end of this video. But minute one, right now we're on minute zero but at minute one uh, we're going to send a cw id out and it's going to be about five words per minute and it's going to be on uh, 14092 so we're getting close to that after the cw id about 10 seconds later we're going to come over here to whisper and you'll hear the qrss uh, cw very slow about a half of word per minute oh, here we go All right, you heard that. That was at the one-minute mark right there. 
the CDA, the uh, QS, QRSS should start up. There it is. If you listen, that is very slow Morse code. It's about a half a word per minute. There was a K. That was a U. That was a B. W5KUB at a half word per minute. Now that'll be decoded with QRSS. Now, at the two minute mark, Okay, at the two-minute mark, the uh, whisper data starts, and it runs at two minutes and four minutes to give you our regular uh, whisper data. If you're trying to track this on or copy on whisper, if you'll uncheck, if you'll uncheck uh, prefer type one messages, then you will also not only receive the W5KUB, but you'll also receive the uh, Q, the Q call that we're sending out uh, that has the extra data in it. So you can see the Q call, and you can see the W5KUB. So that's kind of what we've got, and uh, it's going to be low power. Uh, I would imagine the CW beacon, uh, if you're in the U.S., the CW uh, beacon is only going to be heard if the uh, tracker is flying over the US so uh, I doubt you're gonna hear it very far away but uh, who knows okay so um, that kind of gives you an indication of you know, kind of a, a new thing we've added to the balloon there, Bill, uh, work that code in and the QRSS in. And uh, that, by the way, is posted on our uh, our uh, Facebook group. If you want to go back and review it again, it's posted on our Facebook group. And, uh, Bill, I, I think we're going to be getting ready for launch soon. Uh, I've decided not to go with the amplifier. Uh, that thing is squirrely. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I mean, I, I, I ran it all day for hours, and everything looked perfect. And then at one time I'd look, and it, the, it would be up to 149 uh, milliamps at w one time. And I actually just took my finger, and I touched the shield on the coax, and I felt it like a little discharge. And then the, the uh, current went back down to normal on the uh, amplifier. So... I don't know if I've got static building up or something's going on, uh, but I don't want a chance putting an amplifier up in the air if it's going to go crazy. So uh, we're not going to run know, an amplifier now. In our circuits uh, in the real world, uh, Tom. That, what was that, uh, Bill? You know how we design our circuitry in the real world. How do, how do you do that? We do all kinds of calculations and models and uh, get it to the theoretical what we goes in and what we expect to come out and then a miracle happens oh yeah the miracle part is the that's the part i'm having trouble with the miracle part and and you know man there was a I'll give an example when i was in college we made a transistor out of the actual dye when we put it in an oven at 1100 degrees c to mm -hmm. dope the, the the thing and uh it uh, 
we calculated that it would have to be in the oven for precisely 23 minutes. Well, yeah. all the students calculated about the same amount of time. Some went 23 minutes, some went 24, and all of ours were destroyed. They just punched right through, and there was no working transistor. The teaching assistants worked perfectly, and we asked them, what did you do different? I put it in for 22 minutes. Yeah. He uh, says the calculation said 23, but then I tried it and it failed. So then I backed it off a minute. And that's exactly how they do it when they produce uh, circuit dies when they're making integrated circuits. Uh, They work out what it's supposed to be, and then they work out what it actually should be by trial and error. Well, and here's the unknown. And, And one of the things that I was having trouble with for days the antenna impedance greatly, greatly affects the current draw on that MOSFET. I mean, it can go anywhere from 15 milliamps to 150 milliamps. I mean, it just goes crazy. And I finally got it where, I finally got it where on a 50 ohm dummy load or my antenna it was hanging in pretty steady down at the, the, the low milliamp range where I felt like it should be. But By the way, Tom, I think your two hours are just about up on they, the... They, they really are. we got a, we got about a minute. Let me just say thank you to everybody out there on Shore Avils listening today. You're listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable and a, a show about ham radio. Tune in next week uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time on 7490. You'll hear the, uh, the next show. Or you can go to W5KUB.com on Tuesday nights, and you can uh, join the show live if you have Internet. Join our Facebook group. It's just called W5KUB. Join our Facebook group. Send us an email if, you, uh, if you're listening to us out there. I'd love to hear from you on shortwave. Thank you, and good night to everybody out there. Okay, so, Bill, thank you. The, the, the antenna impedance and it's going to be hard to know what the real antenna impedance is with this sucker up in the air, you know. Oh, well, by the way, your CW speeds are about 11 word per minute yeah. for the first one, and it's two words a minute for the slower one. Oh, was it? Okay. You know, um, it's going to be interesting to see if we can hear it. Um, and we'll yep, talk yeah, maybe maybe next part. week. Maybe next week we could talk about the QRSS if a person wants to actually use the program to copy the QRSS. And that program actually gives you a waterfall, and you can actually see the Morse code in the waterfall, I think. Is that right, Bill? Yeah, it uh, tends to noise average out anything that's random noise, and you just see a white line where the dots and the dashes. And uh, I just tuned it in the other morning, and... uh, I was copying a guy from Great Britain and a fellow from uh, Germany. It took about three minutes for the entire call sign to be sent. And there is a mode where they can go 10 minutes. But I think the majority of people I've been looking at, uh, they take about anywhere from three to eight minutes to send a call sign. And uh, it's quite readable. You can't hear the code. It's so weak. But in mm-hmm. the waterfall display, you can actually see the code. So even though you might be below the noise level for your balloon, you'll be able to see the code if you uh, use one of these waterfall programs. Um, 
that are designed for this QRSS, which is a very slow CW mode. QRS means please send more slowly, is the Q signal for send Morse code slowly. So just like QRP is low power and QRPP is very low power, QRSS would be very low speed. All right. Hey, let me, uh, let's go ahead and close the show down. Thanks, everybody, for watching out there. I had a great night. Uh, uh, Come back next week and see us. Join our Facebook group. Please subscribe to our channel. That'll help us out a whole lot. Hit the like button. Send me three. We are back. Welcome to uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable. Doug, I, I did, Doug, I did not. I did not hear back from you, and I wasn't sure you were going to be here tonight. Yeah, is that okay if I just pop in, say absolutely, hello? Absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? We may have to make you pop in again later. You All know, right, that's may, no problem. You may have to schedule it and come back again just because you did this. Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to join you every week if I could. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, man, we are so glad to have you. Guys, this is a, a pleasant surprise. This is our friend, uh, Astronaut Doug Wheelock. Astronaut, he was the commander of the uh, I, International Space Station. Uh, well, that's ISS, right? Did I get that right, Doug? Correct. November Alpha 1 Sierra Sierra. That's correct. <laughs> And Doug made, Doug made like thousands and thousands of contacts on ham radio up there. And uh, I talked to him, the way I met Doug, I talked to him 29 times one month. I talked to him three times driving home in my truck. Do you believe that? Three times to the space station from the mobile. Anyway, 
he was very nice to take my call that many times. I probably he probably got tired of talking to me. Not at all. But uh, I, I knew Doug was coming down within a week or so, and I said, Doug, can I send you some famous Memphis barbecue? And you said, yes, sir. And I sent it to you, man. How was the barbecue, Doug? It was awesome. Uh, the Corky's barbecue from Memphis, when I was talking to Tom, uh, I was getting I was getting toward the tail end of, I think I only had a week or so left, wasn't it, Tom? And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> in, in a six-month mission, and so... Man, I was missing home. I was missing the planet and all the good things, uh, you know, that we have down here. Uh, you know, evidence of life, good barbecue, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. So I mentioned uh, Corky's barbecue to, uh, and then I was having dreams the last few days I was up there in space. Um, and then when I got to, we go into a few days of quarantine after we re- returned to the Earth for mostly for medical. Over Overwatch and some testing and things things like that, um, and um, and my first meal back, first real meal back on Earth was Corky's barbecue. Well, I tell you, I yeah. I hope, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have an official taster, right? I mean, they're not just going to give you any food. And I was I was real concerned that they were going to let you eat barbecue that I sent you. I I, I didn't know that was going to even be possible. Well, well, they actually didn't tell me about it until we got back. Uh, we I actually landed in the Soyuz, which is on land in the middle of Kazakhstan under a chute. And so we, we land this little capsule. Um, and then they we go through, a, a they get us out and into tents and uh, do some initial medical checks and things like that. And then they we fly on a helicopter for about an hour to the nearest local town, near, nearest town, and um, I mean, it's it's really uh, the Kazakh steppe is really vast, vast grasslands of nothing for thousands of miles. And um, they take us to the nearest town, and we we do a welcome ceremony, welcome back to Earth ceremony with the with the uh, indigenous peoples there, and they're really very just a really uh, amazingly unique uh, ceremony. Um, and then and then they uh, take us out to the tarmac and stick us on a on a jet uh, NASA jet and they fly us all the way back to Houston with a couple of refueling stops um, and we land in Houston about uh, 24 hours after we after we land and so we had kind of snacky things on the uh, on the plane and um, and we uh, stopped in Prestwick Scotland for our first refueling stop and then. Um, and then on to Goose Bay, Gander, Newfoundland, and um, and then into Houston. And as soon as I got into the into quarantine facility, they said, um, "Yeah, we've got some food ready for you guys." And Colonel Wheelock, uh, you've got some you've got some barbecue here from uh, from Memphis, flown in from Memphis. And so uh, um, we all sort of laughed about it, and uh, I shared it with my crewmate uh, Shannon Walker as well, and. Um, and so we enjoyed that uh, that uh, home barbecue from Memphis, Tennessee. Well, that is, that is uh, uh, so cool, Doug. And um, you mentioned is Sharon. Is it Sharon Walker? Uh, Shannon Walker. Sh- Shannon she's Walker. actually up there now. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say she's yeah. she's in orbit right yeah. now as we speak, and uh, that's uh, that's so cool. Yeah. Up there now, well, yeah, so. uh, man, you know, uh, it's been a real pleasure to uh, uh, to. Uh, be a friend with you and 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 communicate and talk with you uh 
It's really interesting, everything we talk about. And one of the things that after Doug and I met through the barbecue deal, he must have liked the barbecue so much, he has been with us to Hamvention, I think eight years, seven or eight years now. And look, there's no Hamvention this year, but Doug, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll do again sometime. Now, hey, Doug, are you still up at uh, in Cleveland? Yeah, I've got an interesting uh, new project that I'm working on for NASA. So um, you may remember uh, back in the Apollo days, we had um, there were the lunar lander training vehicle and the lunar lander research vehicle. I th I'm getting a little bit of a delay. I'm going to uh, take a second here, Tom, and get off of my I'm on my um, okay. VPN VPN to work. I'm going to. I, I might go. I might go uh, blank if, for. If we just lose a you, if we lose you, you can connect back or something. And cool. Thank you, Hambot. Doug, welcome back, Doug. Thank you, guys. Uh, sorry. To, I so, hope Mike was able to get his talk in. Can you guys hear me? Okay? Yeah, we. Yeah, we did. We did. We. It. It, it worked out just about perfect there. Um, so. Again, Doug, we are, we're, we're so pleased to have you join us tonight, and uh, um, I'm going to, I know you're a busy guy, but, you know, you think you, <laughs> think you can make it here a couple months or so, just pop in yep. and say hi? Absolutely, absolutely, I'd Man, love to. Would love, love to. would love to. So if you're listening out there on the radio right now uh, on WBCQ, we're talking with astronaut Doug Wheelock. He was the commander of uh, Expedition 25. Is that right, Doug? That's correct. Mm -hmm. And and you, you had several other missions up there. I don't remember all of them, but you you've been up a number of times. How how, how many times you've been up in orbit? Well, I, ha I had one uh, short duration flight. It was a 15 day flight um, on the space shuttle Discovery. It was my first mission. Got a chance to do three spacewalks on that mission, and then I went up on a long duration flight on a Soyuz up and back on a. Russian Soyuz, and I was uh, on the space station for about six months um, as the commander of the space station and got a chance to do three actually emergency unplanned spacewalks on that um, on that mission, which was uh, hopefully in, in my, it would be a chapter in my book one day. It was uh, a really amazing uh, uh, thrill ride, to be honest with you. And uh, uh, so... Uh, th those two missions, a short duration mission and a long duration mission, and now I'm training our uh, our uh, younger group of astronauts uh, to go back to the moon. So we're very excited about that. So, so Doug, one of your missions that you, one of your spacewalks or whatever you did, I I I, I know you had to work on the solar panels. I think out there. Now let me show you something. I've I've also been working on solar panels. <laughs> Look at this. Now, this is for our next balloon flight. I was going to talk a little about that later tonight. But what you worked on was much bigger than this. There's a lot of solar cells, a lot of power, a lot of current up there. So uh, you, being an astronaut, you got to be a little bit of everything, right? An electrician, a plumber, uh, everything. And, and you, know, well, you don't mess with electricity. Unless you know you, what you're doing, I, I, I'm not a I'm not a real uh, sharp uh, master electrician for sure, but uh, it's a funny story on on that because I uh, I for the longest time my daughter's ceiling fan in her room in her bedroom was had gone bad, and so I bought a new fan. <laughs> 
I was in my training, and uh, the fan there, the fan sat in the corner of her room in a box for a couple of months, actually. And uh, I remember coming home uh, um, one day from my sp- getting ready for my mission as the commander on the station, and I just passed my master my master's uh, uh, certification as a master of the electrical power system and distribution system <laughs> on the space station. And it was fairly intricate. It's a fairly intricate system. Excuse me. Did they cover ceiling fans? Yeah. <laughs> well, I came home with my, my master. I said, check it out. I'm, I'm master of the electrical power systems on the international space station. And my daughter looked right at me. She goes, can we do that ceiling fan tonight, Dad? <laughs> so. Oh man, uh, I hate ceiling fans. I hate them. Yeah, those, they're yeah. real. But you know uh, what? Just you know, you know, gravity just, makes the thing all real complicated. So. Yeah, just okay. holding, just holding the weight of it up and trying to connect the wires. But seeing this out in space, so it'd be weightless. You ought to be pretty good with that. Yeah, everything's everything's weightless or without uh, uh, noticeable, but everything still has mass, and so you have to be really careful with that, uh, because uh, F still equals MA in space even, so you have to be yeah. really careful moving around outside as well. Well, hey, tell us about the solar panels. How many, you know how much power is there? How many amps you can get out of those things? Or Yeah, or? I was kind of surprised when we, um, uh, the, the electrical grid um, is a um, 160 volts uh, deep uh, direct current DC power and uh, those big arrays um, uh, the the only place that they shunt shunt are able to shunt or control the um, the, the uh, electrical charge is in the base of those arrays and so uh, even though it's flopping out there um, in in our case it was uh, we had a, a tear along one of the hinge lines and even though it's um, it wasn't fully deployed, um, and there were some torn panels. Uh, 